Hello and welcome everybody. This is Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 32 for April 2012. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And this month we will be discussing the number sevens for Wildstorm in the new DCU. Stormwatch number seven, Grifter number seven, and Voodoo number seven, as well as some other appearances within the DCU by some Wildstorm characters. Including a big one. <laughs> yeah. Guess what, Joe? What? This is our two-year anniversary. Yay, happy anniversary. I'm sorry I didn't get you flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? We've been around this long, and our loyal yet small fan base has stuck with us. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is pretty crazy to think that we started this two years ago. You know, obviously we had that little hiatus when Wildstorm went away, but still, we're still kicking, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. So Joe and I just wanted to thank everybody for listening and uh, sticking with us for so long. Hopefully uh, we'll continue to grow over the next two years. Yeah, well, we'll talk about some, uh, in fact, I didn't put it here in the notes, but I'll put a reminder here, uh, some rumblings I've heard that may be some good news for more good Wildstorm to come here. While Joe is getting that ready, I'll just go into the other Wildstorm news for the month. Uh, there's another new Grifter statue coming from Eagle Moss, uh, no release date or price given yet, but we do have a picture up on our site. So that makes two statues for the Wildstorm characters, and both of them are of Grifter. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry. It's not fair. There should, <laughs> should be a Midnighter one of some sort. Plain favorites. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, the chin spike costs too much you know, money to uh, add on to that. <laughs> use real metal instead of a ceramic. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say that Stormwatch Volume Number 1 hardcover has been resolicited yet again for April 4th, 2012, which collects Stormwatch 37 through 47, which is Warren Ellis' original run. Volume 2 is solicited for October. It collects the remainder of Ellis's run, 48 through 50, and 1 through 11 of Stormwatch Volume Number 2. But Wildcat's Aliens crossover is not included, which would be kind of important between those two. Yeah, and as of today, which is April 1st, it is still listed for April the 25th on DC's website, and it's survived, I think, one or two solicitations. So <laughs> I, I feel like we talk about it every month. <laughs> yeah it'll be awesome to get it though uh a bit of news from WonderCon. jim lee added that he was not riding shotgun on wildstorm characters in order to force them being integrated into the new dcu universe so what he wants are for other voices to go different places with them and lee will only speak up about their treatment if necessary Scott Lobdell also added that he's interested in bringing Majestic into the story somehow, and Rob Liefeld mentioned he will be seeing Zealot soon, assumingly in Grifter, which that will be pretty epic, I think. Yeah, because there's been a lot of questions about, you know, what, what their role, though, especially those two characters, Majestic and Zealot, you know, what are they? They still care about them or not, you know? Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, just real quick before we get into the first review, what I wanted to throw in there was that uh, one of my friends who's really into Heroclix shared with me uh, some pictures at one of the, I guess, conventions or something where Heroclix was presenting. And uh, in one of the many slides they showed, they actually showed a grifter Heroclix, which <laughs> I know you're saying that he's already got two statues. Well, now he's going to have a Heroclix figure. <laughs> and... Um, we didn't have a really good picture of it, which is why I didn't put it on the site yet, because I figure when Heroclix releases official images, then I'll put it at our site, because I want a, a good picture of it. But it's Grifter in his original costume, uh, so that's going to be interesting. And while I was talking to my friend about it, this is all rumblings, this is rumors, this is nothing confirmed, so you know, I kind of didn't want to talk about it, but uh, it's kind of exciting if this is the truth, is that you know, uh, obviously Heroclix has always worked in tandem with the companies as to what they're doing at the time, like they actually had some Flashpoint figures and things like that. He's wondering if, if they're going to do like a Wildstorm-centered set. And even if they don't do a Wildstorm-centered set, you know, at the very least have some of the Wildstorm characters integrated in whatever next Heroclix set is coming out. But the only thing that led him to talk about that was the fact that Grifter was in his original costume and not the one that we've seen in the New 52. You know, so... The fact is, we're getting a Grifter Hero Clicks for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> that that we have proof of. <laughs> Everything else is speculation. 
we'll keep you updated. We'll be watching for Hero because I think it's supposed to release in the summer. So I'm sure they'll they'll give us more concrete information soon. Well, that would be pretty awesome, even if it is just Grifter. But if they did an homage to the original Wildstorm characters, that would be really sweet, and I would definitely try to grab those up. Yeah, because uh, he I just got through playing hero clicks with this friend over spring break and i still love that game and and if there was uh wildstorm characters in there i would definitely probably get back to playing more so <laughs> did you did you like my little slip of homage and homage whatever <laughs> man you know we're getting to the point where only real old school fans of wildstorm are gonna understand those references <laughs> well i hope you know the 150 so odd downloads that we get every month are those people so yeah <laughs> you know chris striker's cheering right now uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well <Anyway. laughs> that's the news for this month everybody joe why don't you kick it off with stormwatch number seven <clears throat> yes i will um so stormwatch number seven written by paul jenkins who's taken over writing chores from uh Paul Cornell, so we trade one Paul for another, and uh, we we keep the art by. Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. It's not by Miguel Sepulveda. It's actually by uh, artist Ignacio Calero. It was a uh, a nice change of pace, I thought, for a new artist to come on with a new writer, because um, you know this is the first we're getting into. Uh, you know, finish the first big arc that introduced Stormwatch and, you know, who they were as a team and who the members were. Ended up losing some members, you know, in Harry Tanner becoming a traitor and um, the projection is being captured by him. Which, by the way, I don't think we yelled out spoiler alert, but we figure by now you, you guys know that we spoil pod, on the podcast, but not on the site. <laughs> so we open up in um, The Remains of Chernobyl and there's a couple of researchers checking it out. And, you know, you just kind of already know that this is not going to end well for these guys because (laughs) they're regular humans inside of a a Stormwatch book. And usually uh, humans don't last very long in these these books, in the history of these books. So they come across some strange readings and some sort of energy uh, ends up killing them. So now we have a mystery as to what that is. What is it that's killed them? And meanwhile, we go back to the newly repaired and reformed Eye of the Storm after blowing up last issue. <laughs> we uh, we have the crew kind of kind of going about business as usual. Which this this uh, this opening scene with them had a very authority like uh, vibe to it because, like we've said before, this is basically the authority with Martian Manhunter thrown in. So, you know, we have Martian Manhunter here, and he's teaching Jenny Quantum more about her powers and how to use them. And, you know, we still have kind of the comedy in here, too, you know, as an engineer. You know, she's uh, trying to carry on about business, and Jenny wants to talk to her about something. And the engineer's like, uh, before you ask for the 10 millionth time, the answer is no, you can't have a puppy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, I love... I, I love that there's still humor in here. Then we uh, pan over to Apollo and Midnighter, who are keeping tabs on you know different events around the world. And Midnighter makes a a, a reference to what we're going to review here in a little while, which is Grifter number seven, which is interesting because at this point when this issue came out, Grifter number seven wasn't going to be out to the following week, which is not too long to wait, and it wasn't. Uh, it's, it wasn't a must-read, you know, as far as understanding what's going on, but I think it was more of a teaser, you know, to be like, hey, you know, just to let you all know, Midnight is going to be in Grifter next week. <laughs> there was a lot of that this month. Yeah. Throughout all the books. Yeah. No, and I actually like that, though, because, you know, there has to be an interconnectivity uh, with this, you know, to show people that, that the Wallstorm titles are not separate, you know. It's kind of like getting them to mingle with the rest of the people at the party, you know? <laughs> right. I feel like I need to reread the whole month, though, because it was all sort of broken up a little bit because of that. But, yeah, it is awesome that they're all connected. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, we they, like I said, they make the allusion to that. And and then um, we go on to the engineer uh, interacting with the demonite consciousness of the Eye of the Storm station, which we found out about last um, last issue. So... You know, we're still keeping that going. And again, with the humor, we find that the engineer has decided to name the Damonite Charlie, 
which um, which I <laughs> I just thought it was great. I'm actually kind of glad they went with something a little bit more obscure. You know, sometimes people go with the the Bob joke too much. Um, I just I just thought it was great. So is Chuck a nickname for Charlie? Yep, because remember they always called Charlie Brown Chuck. Right, so I'm wondering if anybody's going to make the joke sometime and play the name game with them. <laughs> that would be great. I hope they do. <laughs> Maybe we should email, well, no, Paul Jenkins is only on here for two issues. We'll email the next writer. Be like, hey, we got an idea for you. <laughs> Up until this point, I will say that uh, I was uh, noticing, like I said, that obviously we have a different artist, and I was really liking it. And, and uh, there's a page here where uh, where he does... Uh, midnighter in the pa- in the middle of the page uh, it's where they detect something going on down near Chernobyl and I don't know about you but there's something about the way that he drew midnighter there it was very like J. Scott Campbell it, that was the first um, image out of the issue that for re- whatever reason caught my eye and really made me start appreciating the new artist because I like Miguel Sepulveda but I don't know, his his art gets a little bit too dark for me sometimes. I don't know if it's his inker or if it's him, but uh, this one I really enjoyed. And then from then on, I don't know, it, it just seemed to have me like concentrate on the art more. Because after that, you know, Apollo teleports down to Chernobyl to check it out. You know, he, he encounters this huge energy being that uh, is like encompassing everything. By this point, you know, little things like like the way that he drew Apollo's face here, you know, right before he's about to take on the creature, just little things I started appreciating about this artist. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's going to do some more in the future. I don't know if him and Miguel are going to switch off, but I actually am glad that, that he's the one that they're switching off with. Cause I, I was really enjoying this art. And, um, you know, so we, of course, when Apollo tries to take on the, the being, you know, he can't, he can't take it. Apparently, this being, you know, it's all about energy. So, so with Apollo trying to um, to take him on, and he's energy based, you know, it's <laughs> unfortunately it's like a no win scenario for him. And then we get the <clears throat> information that um, Martian Manhunter apparently recognizes whatever this creature is. And instead of uh, st- stopping to explain everything in an exposition, he starts getting Jenny to. Um, to start doing the formulas and stuff that she he was teaching her earlier, and you know, meanwhile, engineer is getting frustrated because he won't explain to her what it is. Thankfully, you know, they kind of keep with that, where he's basically like, you know, I don't have time to explain. I need you to trust me, and you know, basically, they she reluctantly agrees, and they they rush down to go help Apollo. You know, Jenny says that uh, the creatures, you know, physics are all messed up. You know, it's whatever it is, it's like he tells her to adapt and readapt, you know, to try to hold the creature at bay while he rescues Apollo. Finally, whatever she does <laughs> creates or whatever this conflict that they, you know, they're having, you know, creates this huge explosion in Chernobyl as if, as if Chernobyl hadn't already had enough explosions. But what she ends up doing is um, Jenny's able to uh, to isolate the creature finally but they're not able to contain it for very long, so they bring it back to the to the eye of the storm, and that's where they're able to contain the creature for a while. Meanwhile, we get to what I consider one of the coolest scenes in this series so far. I thought this was a... I mean, we already saw a, a pretty excellent use of uh, Jack Hawksmore's power uh, in one of the early issues where he talked to the spirit of Gotham and the spirit of Metropolis. But uh, here... He goes and he talks to the spirit of Chernobyl, which you know is portrayed as a uh, sickly old man, you know, because of all the radiation and everything. And and what was even even better was that you know we have the cities of uh, Nagasaki and um, Hiroshima tending to him, and uh, they're both portrayed as like uh, like Japanese geishas but they have like burns and scars on them. So I just thought that that was a pretty powerful pretty powerful idea and that was you know just a really cool way to to show jack hawksmore using his his powers and you know from what i gathered from the way that uh that the uh, i mean the city is not Chernobyl. i'm sorry it's uh uh pripyat i'm gonna i guess that's how you pronounce it but obviously that's where the Chernobyl facility was but um 
he talks about how you know whatever this creature is that they um that he made a deal with the creatures and that you know that they they basically i got the impression that the creatures used the city and you know now he's like he he's yelling he says you know i lit a candle for them by mistake which alludes to the fact that you know that he caused the chernobyl accident to help these creatures whatever they wanted which i would assume was to release the energy that that happened in the explosion if if that's what they are if that's what they do if that you know if that's what they steal then i can definitely see that so and uh, there's a pretty pretty touching moment where uh you know as after he's gotten his information jack's about to leave and you know, Pripyat asks, you know, tell me, will I get better? And he's like, yes, you're going to get better. Rest now. And he's asking, will it be soon? And he's like, no, not soon. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a powerful concept that that city is so damaged. I, I thought it was amazing. I mean, the right in the middle of this book, it just floored me. I, I wasn't expecting it at all. Like, Jack Hawksmore's power is awesome. And I'm so glad that we get to see it a little bit more every every time. And I don't know if it was Paul Cornell that, you know, had a big influence on changing Hawksmore's power, at least what he does from what we know of from the original Wildstorm universe. But, I mean, in my mind, I think he can easily have his own title now just to learn more about him, especially. Like, I I feel like, you know, he's a background character in this book, or at least has been for the first seven issues. But after seeing how he's progressing in his powers, and especially this issue, I want to see so much more of him. It was awesome. Yeah, because it's like, you know, he existed for so long in the Wallstrom universe, and they never even touched stuff like this. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. When you think about, well, what are some of the famous cities of the world? Yeah, those are two of the famous ones. You know, and I'm pretty as far as I know, I, I didn't follow all the authority, but as far as I know, I don't think he ever interacted with those cities. So, yeah, some pretty powerful stuff in the middle in the middle of all this, but uh, definitely added weight, I think, to the issue and the story and all that. And and this is just in a in a two what's going to amount to a two issue story, right? So this is almost like the old because uh, I've been listening a lot to the to the guys from Only the Valiant, and they talk a lot about. Uh, decompression in storytelling versus like compression I guess compressed storytelling which is the old style where you fit as much as you can into an issue right instead of writing for the trade and dragging a story out <laughs> this was fitting a lot of story in here so this is classic writing that's that's pretty cool you know meanwhile the creature that they have captured the uh the daemonite entity in the in the eye of the storm Basically tells him that he can't contain it anymore, and that it's um, that it's going to try to destroy the ship. So, so the ship itself decides to kill it rather than let it even try to threaten it. So, in this in this whole chaos of the ship trying to kill it, and you know Jenny trying to keep it at bay, and Apollo gets caught up in the in the chaos, and somehow between the creature and and everything's going on, it appears that I mean it. It does something to Apollo. He's just it's like it zaps him and he's gone and the creature seems to be gone too. So now everybody's really pissed at Martian Manhunter because they're like, you know, will you just finally tell us what the hell's going on? So, you know, we just lost Apollo basically. As far as he'll reveal is that, you know, uh, Martian Manhunter basically just states, you know, they're an ancient enemy known to my people and they're also known to the Daemonites. And they've been to this universe once before and almost destroyed it. Apparently, they are um, gravity miners, I guess is what they referred them to in the solicits. You know, gravity is a commodity for them, so they they uh, they come to steal it, basically. And apparently, the whole accident at Chernobyl was their doing, so they could uh, come back and tear apart our universe and mine whatever they can. You know, so basically, he gives this big, you know, the universe is going to end type of speech. And they all get quiet for a second, and then Jenny ends it by saying, now can I have a puppy? <laughs> So I was like, well, that's nice. That's really great. So I'm glad that even in the middle of of the of an end of the world scenario that Paul Jenkins can still have fun. So, But yeah, this, uh, you know, for anybody who was worried about, you know, if Paul Jenkins was going to do a good job with the title, I think he took it upon himself knowing that he only had two issues, he's, that he came up with something, you know, that's 
this was really, really good. You know, uh, I think if he hadn't integrated, you know, the whole thing with Jack Hawksmore and the the cities of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, I, I think it still would have been a good issue. But that really anchored the story, the kind of like the the severity of it. I don't know. It it just changed to me the whole issue. It changed the tone and and even with the with the uh, the joking around and stuff, it just was still a really good issue and. I hope that uh, enough people, you know, talk about how much they loved it. That you know, even though we're getting a new Stormwatch writer, heck, you know, down the road, if they want to come back to Paul Jenkins, man, even without hearing the end of the story, I already want more. Yeah, I, I agree on all those accounts that you just went through. I mean, the compression that you spoke of was great. I mean, I felt like I got a lot out of this one issue, and I know that there's only one more, but it'll feel. I have a good feeling that it'll feel wrapped up. You know, they're they're taking care of this one situation, but. Yeah, to bring it home with Hawksmoor's little interlude there, um, th- that really helped solidify the, the severity of what was going on in that location. And and that really did help. Because otherwise, you know, it would have felt like a, almost like a throwaway arc until, you know, the new writer takes over almost. But this this really planted it. So, yeah, it was great. I can't, I can't wait. I mean, I love the Stormwatch more than, you know, we've already discussed that. So I, I want to see some stinking statues of the engineer and, and others. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they've got to be coming because this is, this title's definitely doing the best out of all of them. You know, as much as I love Grifter, his title needs to be doing better. So <laughs> thanks for the uh, intro. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Next, we'll go over uh, Grifter number 7, which was released on March 14th, written by Nathan Edmondson, with art and cover by Scott Clark, David Beatty, and Andrew Dollhouse. So yeah, there was a lot of people working on the cover and the art in this issue, and it actually doesn't even define who was doing the art and who was doing the cover, but I mean, you can, you know Scott Clark's art, so it was pretty much his throughout. So, Grifter in the Snow. <laughs> is that your summary <laughs> that was pretty much it what did you think of the issue <laughs> oh come on it's grift in the snow and then you gotta have the prepositional phrase with uh, midnighter i'm kidding <laughs> um, so this issue starts out in nepal in the himalayan mountains and grifter is tracking down the uh piece that fell out of the the Eye of the Storm, which was in issue number six of Stormwatch, um, when it was blowing apart and being reassembled. Um, and he, in this issue, we, we listen to his inner monologue most of the time, and we also hear the piece of the ship that he can hear, because obviously the piece is Daemonite in nature. Um, so he's tracking it down. The piece is calling out to him saying that, you know, I'm broken. Something's escaped. I'm losing power. There's danger. So he, he's kind of like, what is going on? Um, but, and, and he finds it right away, but immediately, uh, Midnighter walks through a door and is tracking the same piece down, um, with the help of the engineer on the eye of the storm. And they run into each other right away. Midnighter knows a little bit of Grifter. Not very much, but Grifter doesn't really know what's going on. And he's he's really just, you know, there to figure out what the voice is in his head. Doesn't take him very long to just whip out his pistol and just start shooting at a Midnighter. So, yeah, they, they don't come to terms right away. They just basically go at each other immediately. Pretty epic fight throughout the entire issue. Uh, uh, Grifter has a ice pick, which is pretty sweet. He uses that to swing at Midnighter. He also uses it to uh, try to catch his fall later on in the issue. But basically, uh, Grifter's trying to understand what this piece is and at the same time take care of Midnighter, which is probably a futile task if, if you understand how powerful midnighter is <laughs> the whole time midnighter seems a little confused by grifter just because he doesn't even know why he's there and and 
grifters hearing things and saying kind of goofy dialogue in between because of it's calling out to him. And halfway through the fight, the piece of the storm watch or piece of the uh, eye of the storm, which it actually says the storm watch, which I thought was kind of odd. It actually starts powering down because it doesn't have any energy left. So grifter makes a scramble and, and reaches out to touch the, uh, the actual piece that fell off. And it transfers all the memory from the piece into grifter. And now Grifter kind of knows what's going on now because he didn't really understand what Stormwatch was. He he didn't even know who the Midnighter was, really. This is the first interaction they've ever had together. So now Grifter's holding his head and he's like, oh, you're from Stormwatch, a uh, organization that knows all about the Daemonites and, you know, tries to take care of the world and, and all that stuff. With all this newfound knowledge, um, he realizes that if they knew all about the Daemonites and they didn't try to stop them and they actually let the Daemonites uh, kind of take over Earth, basically, then his brother wouldn't have been killed. So here's a little bit of Grifter's motivation to get even more pissed off at Midnighter, I guess. Um, and in that realization, they actually cut over to uh, Bethesda Medical Hospital in Maryland Um and here we actually see Grifter's brother again. So here's Max Cash. He's laying in a hospital bed. And the general is basically talking to him and says, Hey, we've been tracking your brother. Do you have any problems you know, going after him? And Max is like, Nope. He put me in a hospital, sir. I'll put a bullet in him. <laughs> and did I call it or did I call it? He's still alive. <laughs> you called it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you look closely, he's got a little glint of blue in there. <laughs> I think we can all call that he's probably uh, inhabited, so to speak. <laughs> so, that's all That's all we really get of that interaction, and then we go right back out into the snow and for the uh, final fight here. So Grifter starts running away from Midnighter and starts sliding down this ice surface, pick in hand to kind of break his fall. And also at the same time, shred open the ice. And Midnighter's uh, got to handle that. But since he can do a gajillion calculations in his head before Grifter even decided to do that, he has no problem uh, with that. Jumps after Grifter, who had caught onto a rope. And Grifter loses that battle. And Midnighter is now on the rope. And Grifter is falling right where he had just split open the ice, and he falls down into a big glacier of some sort. God, he's 0 for 2 in his own title, man. <laughs> this, is just, this is just not good. Uh, Midnighter's like, he's gone and dead, but let me be sure. And basically causes all this ice and snow to fall onto him. And just to really make sure, he tosses a bomb into not only the piece of the eye of the storm, but probably grifter nearby and blows it all up and basically says, Hey, I'm ready to come back and calls a door and walks out. But grifter's not dead. I know. Of course not. (laughs) Yeah. He has his own title. He can't die. So (laughs) grifter's like Rocky, man. I mean, in the first Rocky, Rocky didn't win, you know, it's like (laughs) Rocky lost in his own movie. Grifter's lost twice in his own book. <laughs> so, Grifter's down in probably some pocket of that ice that got blew up. He's holding on to his ice pick. And um, he's contemplating, you know, what was going on with that piece of the eye of the storm. And he, he actually calls it uh, something broke out of that piece of the storm watch, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but... Basically, at this point, he says, you know, I I can't take care of, you know, this Daemonite scourge, so to speak, that's infested the earth and killed my brother. So now he actually has some motivation. And this actually made me feel a lot better about this title because I was starting to worry over the last couple months. But now he says, you know, I'm going to have to convince the world that I'm a villain. 
it will be my greatest con that I've ever pulled. So basically now he's going to go around, pick a bunch of fights, make sure that he looks like the biggest villain on the face of the earth, and then turn that on all of them, them being the superheroes of the earth, I assume, uh, to help get them attacking the Daemonites. That's my assumption out of this, but that's how this issue ends. How do you feel about that, Joe? Do you think that's a, a valid assessment of where we think this title is going to go from here? Well, yeah, if, if Nathan Edmondson was still going to be on it, you know, <laughs> uh, which I don't know how much Rob Liefeld's going to, you know, pick up from that, because I wish, now that Nathan's finally revealed that that's where he was going, I wish he had revealed this several issues back, because yeah. it is a really cool concept, you know, Um I just don't know if there's any if there's enough people that are still reading, you know. I yeah. mean, and that's that's the, my main frustration with the titles is we've taken so long to get somewhere, you know, that's really interesting. You know, that's the first. I mean, there was some interesting stuff in the first few issues, but then it seems like when we changed, you know, the teams. Like I said before, I don't know if he switched his style to cater to Scott Clark because Scott Clark is a great action artist. You know, there's no doubt about that. I mean. The last few issues have been, you know, heavy on action, and it's fine. But it almost felt like they've been light on story, you know. And so this is the first time in several issues that I felt like, okay, well, that's an interesting way to go. But like I said again, we only have one more issue with Nathan, and then you know, turn it over to Rob. So we'll see how much he keeps of that. Uh, you also forgot to mention when you flip the page, you get. Uh, the first official appearance of a big Wildstorm baddie. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, the last issue. I mean, the last page. You know, we see that um, that Hellspot was in the uh, in the piece that crashed from Stormwatch. You know, then we get a big advertisement in the next page showing that he's going to be fighting Superman in Superman number seven, which we'll talk about briefly here in a little while, but. But it, it was so cool. I, I'm pretty sure Scott Clark has drawn Hellspawn in the past, but it was just it was just cool to see Hellspawn. Period. And obviously Scott Clark, you know, I like his art, and I think he did a great rendition of Hellspawn here at the end. So that was pretty exciting to see. Agreed. And if the engineer knew what piece of the Stormwatch broke off, or ah, see now I said it because they they put it in there. It was a piece of the Eye of the Storm. Dang it. Um, if they knew what that piece was, I don't think they would have nonchalantly blo- threw a bomb in there and just walked away. Like I think they would have made sure. That- yeah. No, I don't think that they know anything because remember Adam One was the one who who knew all that stuff. So they're just learning about the station, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the Daemonite consciousness in the station would even mention it because obviously that's his leader. You know, maybe he's keeping it secret on purpose. <laughs> that'll be our nickname for him <laughs> oh chuck no but i i agree like yeah you know how frustrated i've been over the last couple months with this title like it's been driving me crazy it's been non-stop and fairly cool but yeah i mean this guy's never taken time to go to the bathroom let alone <laughs> you know come up with any kind of plan he's just been running around like a maniac and like now at least i can say oh look he walked off into the sunset and thought about what he's gonna do next instead of just like running around like a madman yeah it's just oh i forgot to mention also that apparently he let sophia go that's why she's not in this issue (laughs) in case you're wondering what happened to sophia I actually ended up reading this one twice because I read it once when I was on spring break. You know, I, I, it was the, my first digital download was this issue. Nice. Um, so it was kind of cool reading it like that. But then when I actually got back up here and um, picked up my issues, I was like, oh, I'm a, I, you know, I, I bought this. I'll reread it. I, I enjoyed it more the second time, you know, because I was like, well, it was a cool fight between the two. And, you know, uh at least Grifter didn't die this time, <laughs> you know, because he doesn't have a good track record when facing Midnighter. Yeah, yeah, and to bring that up, I don't know if, you know, any of our listeners know that other series that was out in, like, 2007. There was a Grifter Midnighter series. It was a six-issue arc. So. Yeah, it was a, that was a fun little series. I mean, the art was really good. It was by Ryan Benjamin, but it was kind of a throwaway series. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> 
But um, but no, I just uh, you know we got one more issue with uh, Nathan writing it, and uh, apparently we have you know at least he's going to get to finish. We assume you know the the issue with Grifter and his brother because the next issue shows them on the cover facing off, and then after that we start the Lifefield run. So you know we'll just have to wait and see how all this goes. The whole villain thing. I just hope people give it a chance, even when Rob Liefeld's on it. So, anyway, let's let's go to another title that I think is uh, really turned around a lot since we got the new team, uh, which is uh, Voodoo. We got Voodoo number seven here, which is written by Josh Williamson and art by Sammy Bosry. You know, we have a new person uh, from the last two, couple of issues doing the the covers, which his name is Paolo Siquiera. And I mean, his his covers are just okay. You know, after after getting John Tyler Christopher for the first few issues, it's hard to get anybody else. You know, so uh, the only thing that sucks to me about that is that they're not really eye catching covers. And this this series, out of all three that we're talking about, needs the most help. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, we open up directly from last issue where uh, Agent Fallon, Blackjack, and uh, the original Voodoo are uh, still trying to escape from the the Black Razor facility and uh, it's funny cuz we get a little a little Star Wars reference here so uh <laughs> it's the opening scene where Voodoo says you know this isn't what I would call a great rescue and Blackjack's like we can always take you back to your cell lady <laughs> <laughs> I was like that's totally a Star Wars reference well you think it had anything to do with the stormtrooper armor from Fallon Oh, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I would have loved for him, for Blackjack to have called her your highness or something. That really would have driven it home, but it's okay. <laughs> it was still funny. But uh, And then we quickly pan back to Vo- the Voodoo Clone facing the Daemonite Council and demanding answers. You know, she tears through a couple of them <laughs> to force the, I guess, the, the Daemonite Council leader to finally listen and start answering questions basically we come to find out that the daemonites like earth because out of all the beings in the universe only humans have the ability to manipulate themselves into superhumans which i thought was a very interesting declaration because i don't know if that's a hundred percent true i don't i mean obviously there's worlds out there in the dcu that there's beings that i guess have inherent power and but the argument he's making here is that humans can manipulate themselves to do that in different ways and it's funny because he makes reference to he's like most times it's by accident something as trivial as being struck by lightning or being bathed in the right chemicals <laughs> like that's awesome but apparently uh the voodoo clone and well the way i understood it was is that priscilla Catane is a human or she started off as a human they abducted her and for whatever reason, when they experimented on her, it actually worked to to give her powers. So they cloned her, and so the voodoo clone has the same powers too. But for whatever reason, they couldn't do it again, even though they've tried and they keep failing at it. So that's, as far as, as I understood, that was the final answer for voodoo versus her clone. Is that what you understood? I think you summed that up better than I probably could. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I'll just talk about it right now real quick. The whole thing that everybody's talking about online is that, you know, with what Ron Mars was doing, you know, he had voodoo killing people and, you know, it's all in the name of the Daemonite race. And so I don't know if the people at DC were like, um, yeah, we're trying to tote her as a hero. We, you, we can't have you doing that. So... We're going to bring this new writer in, and he's going to make her a clone. <laughs> and we're going to have the real Voodoo show up, and she's not going to kill people. Yeah, that's really what it seems like. <laughs> so isn't that – don't you usually pull the clone card like 200 issues in or something when you've kind of ran out of ideas? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. You do it early so that way you don't lose all your readership 20 years later like they almost did with Spider-Man. So. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I don't know. This is long. All, all we know is at some point there's going to be one voodoo, and it's probably not going to be this one. So <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping they don't draw this out too long because reviewing it gets confusing. Now we jump back to the real voodoo. <laughs> yeah, now we go to the clone. Oh, trust me, updating the wiki. <laughs> I just 
refer to original voodoo voodoo clone. That's it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, but, I think I think here they keep calling her Priscilla versus Voodoo, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Call her whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he shows uh the Damonite uh council member shows her that they did have some failed attempts where they, they have some monstrous voodoos come out <laughs> and attack her. And before we can get too deep into that, we go back to Blackjack and the others, and they make it to a safe house. Sorry, I was going to say, they're not nearly as sexy, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> they don't know how to ride a pole, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they're too, they, they, they give in too much to the Damonite genes and less to the, to the human sexy genes. So... <laughs> Maybe that's the alternate thing that the Damonites realize. You know, the humans are the sexiest race in the universe. So. <laughs> we could use this. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they make it to a, a safe house, and Blackjack radios uh, Andrew Lincoln of the Blackhawks asking for help. Uh, you know, here again, we're talking about the interconnect- interconnectivity of the, of the new DCU-52, and even though Black uh, Blackhawks is on the chopping block as a title, it's good to see that they still exist out here somewhere. So, if they uh, become refugees in this title, that's fine with me. I, you know, they seem like a cool group. So, oh, I have a feeling we'll be seeing more of them very, very soon after you finish this review. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I haven't really read this list, so you're probably right. But well, I haven't either. It's just a theory. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, they. Um, you know, they're discussing about how he can help and how he needs to basically get his act together because he doesn't understand what Blackjack's doing and blah, blah, and finally tells him, you know, we need to get a hold of you because he has some info that might be of help. So, meanwhile, Priscilla is going over to thank Agent Fallon for helping her. And in the middle of thanking her, or, you know, she belts her in the face. <laughs> Because basically she's like, you know, why did you leave me there so long? And you could have rescued me any time. And um, this is kind of what I wanted answered to. Basically, Fallon just blows it off as I was just doing my job. And Priscilla's like, well, what changed your mind? And she said, well, Voodoo needs to be apprehended and you're our last resort. So you'd better be worth it and blah, blah. And, you know, Blackjack stops the little cat fight that's about to ensue. And... (laughs) So, a re- a real vicious open-handed slap would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it even knocked that funky helmet off her head. <laughs> right. She agrees to help him basically because, you know, this is I guess where we're starting to show that this Priscilla, to, you know, is good, you know, that she's actually concerned that other people are in danger because she throws that in their face that apparently they only help people when it's convenient for them. So, Meanwhile, back on the Damonite ship, on the other side of the moon, uh, Voodoo's clone built, or I don't know what she did, or did she throw a grenade or something? I don't know, somehow she blows a hole in the side of the ship, and one of the monsters, Voodoo's, gets pulled out. They never really clarify how she's able to, to deal with the suction of space, but in the middle of all this, she stabs one of the other ones in the throat and kills it, and then we have kind of like a little sad scene <laughs> where one of the other monsters is kind of trying to shake his friend or its friend awake now that it's dead. And Vu is like, you know, I feel their grief, their sadness. They used, they were used by the Damonites. We are so alike. And then the next page, she kills it. <laughs> and she says, I wish I was, it was me dying today instead of them. So, so after this, uh, she basically goes on a rampage. Uh, the Voodoo Council member is trying to call for guards, but uh, Voodoo's clone just goes to each of the clone tubes and just starts destroying them all. And even though the Damon Out Councilman and Council member is um, pleading for her to stop, she's like, "No, it's you know, no more," and blah blah blah. And she's going to kill them. And finally, <laughs> she does what I call she pulls an Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's all about the cause and the Republic and, you know, and then he's like, well, what if I make you commander of all hybrids on the earth? And she's like, what? 
And I'm like, really? That's all it took? Deer in headlights. <laughs> Basically, he's, you know, did what Amber Palpatine did. It's like, hey, Anakin, we'll save Padme. Okay, I'll join you. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. Just, I guess it was kind of like, let's just hurry up and get her to the, to the bad side. And to, like, make sure that she's on the bad side, you know, enough of the ambiguity. Right. This this next scene was a little bit confusing at first uh, when I said at the side of the Daemonite ship explosion. I thought it was referring to the one in Grifter, but it's actually talking about the one at the beginning of Voodoo Number Five. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's the one that uh, Williamson first took over. So so that threw me for a loop at first, but I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And um, you can't tell desert between snow. <laughs> yeah, that was my next thing too. Well, I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, oh, oh it melted all the snow. <laughs> no, 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 I was gonna say I was there. I was thinking to myself, they've been doing so good. They're messing up the continuity. Where's the snow? And that's when I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so see, no, I was thinking about that. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it's so easy to follow all of the, the jumping around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, is the editor, who's the editor on this? Is Bobby Chase? That's one of the ones that, you know, as I'm uploading the wiki, I recognize his name a lot. I think it's his job that he's been keeping all this in line. So, so far, he's doing a good job. So, um, But, yeah, you know, they they get there, and she starts, Priscilla starts sensing, you know, feelings from voodoo. not necessarily thoughts, but just ways that she felt. And then, see, a lot of famous movie references in this one, Although this one might be a little bit more obscure, obscure, where she yells out, "Where are you? Why did you do this to me?" That's totally Jennifer Love Hewitt from "I Know What You Did Last Summer." <laughs> Remember that scene? <laughs> is that is that an actual frame of it? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> all that's left is you know for Voodoo to spin around, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's the first thing that I thought of when she did that. So, and then uh, if you want to talk about horror movies. Or maybe just stories in general. Blackjack makes a horrible story mistake. He makes the comment. He says, "Look on the bright side. Things really can't get much worse." You never say that. <laughs> you never say that <laughs> because things always get worse right after that. So, Voodoo's clone teleports in, and you know we got the showdown here where they're trying. You know, they're basically uh, bad mouthing each other, and I guess. The boxes here do get a little confusing. Mm-hmm. The purple one, I assume, is Priscilla. Yeah, and then the white one is Voodoo's clone. No, 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 I think you're actually backwards. You're, no, you're right, you're right, because it says the Daemonites are terminated where I left. Maybe a cruel joke, I'll never... Yeah, so, so the easy way to follow this is the clone, Voodoo, mm-hmm. has her purple jumpsuit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Priscilla Katane is wearing a white tank, and the boxes match. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's, light, it's light versus dark. Good versus evil. <laughs> Come on. Fall on. I'm trying, man. It's, it's so easy. <laughs> well, it's funny. I didn't. I don't remember questioning that when I first read it, but now that I was re- looking at it again, I was like, what is this? Cause, uh, I questioned it completely because I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, because when she says her mind is blocked, you know, the Danemites know she's going to be here, or is this another their test? So that was obviously Voodoo's clone. Right. So, then Blackjack decides to go all gung-ho, uh, you know, before they start another cat fight. This is his day for stopping cat fights. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's going to regret it here in a second. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he decides to try to take Voodoo's clone out. And Voodoo, you know, is not going to have any of this. And we end the issue with her decapitating Blackjack. <laughs> So, Josh Williamson, you have created yet another, oh, crap, cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) Which I would love to see his notes, you know. It's just like, you know, issue, 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 you know, cliffhanger, issue, cliffhanger, issue. (laughs) Because he's definitely come with some some good ones. And apparently she spontaneously grew Daemonite armor right after she did this, so... So yeah, so now it's just uh, Voodoo's clone versus Priscilla and Agent Fallon. Apparently we're going to have a fight next issue, but... Yeah, so that's Voodoo this month. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, this title has gotten so much better. You know, there there was some people that were disagreeing with me online, you know, that they prefer Ron Mars' slow build, but I was just like, you know, now that I think about it, it was just too slow. 
you know, I needed more stuff to happen. I'm really enjoying this so far. And, you know, even uh, Sarah Lima there at uh, Comic Vine was saying that she's she's kind of questioning the whole, you know, what I, I called the Anakin moment, you know, you know, her turning so fast and she's questioning the motives here. But I think it kind of goes with the whole confusion that happened here. Because even the clone herself, you know, she's like, wait, what? I'm a clone? And then, you know, the whole last three issues, she's trying to figure it out too. So it's not like... It's not like she's exactly in a uh, stable place right now. So I can kind of see how she could fall prey to some of this and just be like, you know what, forget it. I'm, <laughs> I'm done playing around. I, I know which side. I, I, she knows the truth about what she is. So she just went with it. So it's not as, not as hard for me to buy. What, I mean, what do you think about all that? <laughs> um, yeah, so there is a weird little conflict there as far as motivation goes but i i guess we didn't learn enough about her in ron mars's you know start to really understand you know which way she would really go and how quickly but i I can get past that um i did like ron mars's slow build at first but once uh williamson took this over uh you can tell the difference like it is it really has just changed for me and it's so much better and it's so much fun to read and i do want to bring up bosri's art we've been ranting and raving about it since issue number one but his first stab at her as a hybrid was a little bit hokey jump to this issue and look at how he draws her as a hybrid amazing just vicious and awesome to look at i mean when she was fighting her failed attempt well the clones of her that were failed attempts but big gnarly monsters i mean she looked badass it was awesome and i didn't have a problem well i sort of had a problem with the the vacuum issue in the ship first of all they don't even tell you how that hole got blown into the hole it just happened you cut right to that moment but if you notice they all dig into the floor even the uh, failed clones dig into the floor. But after that initial uh, burst from the vacuum being blown out, you could see that that suction kind of died down and they, they they took it a lot easier after that first moment where a couple flew out of the, into the um, vacuum of space. So that was a little weird. They never really like, did the ship heal itself right away? I don't know, but whatever, I can look past that too. But yeah, the the art, awesome. Like Basri's got to stay on this title if it's gonna continue to go anywhere. He really does. Even even though I want to see him do more in other titles, but yeah, it's he's got to stick with it. Yeah, because even people who are still kind of questioning the title, they still talk about how they love his art, you know. And it is really good. And yeah, it's it's funny. It's like it's almost like. Um, like, he hadn't really decided what he was going to do yet when he did the first issue in a hybrid form. And he finally seemed to have realized it in, in these later issues, and it just goes. And what's cool is that even, like, the, the failed uh, attempts, you know, they still have a design to them that that is uh, lines up with his design of her. You know, so that that's good, too, and... I mean, there's still a little bit of question about some of the stuff early on, especially with Skinny and his two, you know, female com- companions. I think it's solidifying more now here, and it, it's kind of it's kind of funny. But do you realize that um, her quote unquote hybrid form is is more of an homage to to the original Damonite design? Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I wonder. It'd be interesting to talk to Basri or or Williamson to see if that that was something intentional or not. So, Blackjack. <laughs> well. What do you think I, was going through his head? <laughs> All the blood <laughs> and out the neck. Um, you know, people have talked that, you know, that, that he basically is just, uh, looks like Major Force, you know, just recolored. <laughs> right. So, I kind of, I mean, I hate to say this because it sounds mean, but. If he stays dead, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he will stay dead. Because it uh, it upped the ante, you know. I mean, they could easily be like, well, you know, whatever enhancements he had, you know, just attach his head back and whatever. Uh, you know, they could still go that way. I kind of hope they don't, because then 
she's solidifying what we just talked about earlier, which is, you know, she's making herself out to be the villain. So eventually they get rid of her, or when they get rid of her, because I'm sure that's going to happen eventually. You know, you're not going to feel sorry for her. Do you want me to give you my thoughts on the plotting from here on out? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, Black Killing Blackjack off was convenient to help move the Blackhawks into this position. I think Andrew Lincoln's coming over to help take over the show for Fallon and go after Voodoo, the clone of Voodoo. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's going to take very long for them to, well, I, I don't know, length-wise, but you know, eventually they're going to get the clone of Voodoo out of the way. So then they can actually focus on Priscilla and her being a spy. Maybe. I don't know. Because that's where Ron Mars was going with it at first. And that's how it started. So it'll be interesting to see how much of the stuff that Ron was doing stays with it. But I, I don't think Priscilla is a bad person, so to speak. Or a villain. So Now Priscilla or her clone? <laughs> Priscilla, not her clone. Obviously yeah. they're going to get rid of the clone in the near future um, with the aid of I believe the Blackhawks, since their title is ending, mm-hmm. so that they can focus on her, the non-clone. <laughs> yeah, and I hope so too. I mean, I think I read the latest solicit for number ten talks about that they're they're following Voodoo out into space or something. The Voodoo's clone. So hopefully they won't drag it out too much. If she's if she's gone by issue twelve, that would be good. If she's still here after that, that's way too long. So. Yeah, and I don't see a purpose for bringing Black Bout Blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sad, but oh well. <laughs> he really was just major force. Colored. <laughs> All right. Other Wildstorm sightings and tie-ins for the month of March. Uh, we had Demon Knights number seven on March 14th, but I read it and couldn't figure out anything. Did you notice anything? No, and, and that's actually going to be my last issue of Demon Knights, um, mainly because of having to change my buying habits. Uh <laughs> I'm going to get rid of pretty much everything except for the Wildstorm titles and anything associated with them. Uh, so unless something really big happens in Demon Knights to where it'll force me to pick up off the stands, I'm done with that for now. So <laughs> Yeah, and I'm almost with you on that. I know that pretty soon they're going to start dealing with the, some things that have to do with Merlin, which is, as we now know, Adam 1. But yeah, I think now that Paul Cornell is off of Stormwatch... I don't know how much he's going to care to write into Demon Knights, but we'll see. Legion Lost number 7 also came out on the 14th of March. Uh, I didn't pick this up, did you? I didn't even bother flipping through it. I don't think there is anything. Pretty soon I'm going to start uh, tying it together with Teen Titans and uh, Superboy. Yeah, unfortunately I forgot to flip through it, but the the guys at Clark's Bar are pretty good about keeping up on stuff like that, so they didn't bring up anything about that or Green Lantern Corps number 7, so... So, Superboy number 7 came out on March 14th. Uh, there was a Fairchild cameo in it. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the big first appearance in the DCU that we were pretty excited about was Fuji from the original Stormwatch. He made mm-hmm. an appearance. So that was cool. And he is working in Nowhere, but he's kind of an enforcer. I'll call him the Bouncer of Nowhere. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he may show up in that big crossover called the culling that's going to be happening you know between teen titans legion lost uh and that's in may that leads into the ravagers number one so because i think that villain uh, i don't remember his name but he's featured on the covers for that he's just real like looks kind of looks like death basically <laughs> so hopefully that means we'll see more fuji during that crossover it'll be pretty cool uh, Teen Titans number 7 came out on March 28th, and I didn't really see any cross, but I know that that will be crossing over shortly. So, looking forward to that. And the big one, Superman number 7, also came out on March 28th, and this was basically Superman vs. Hellspawn part 1. Uh, this was setting up that that fight. Yeah. And we'll go into it more uh, on the next episode because we're trying to get a, uh, a, a special guest host to help us with that. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll work. But regardless, since this was this was just the tease of the fight, it really was. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll wait till the next issue before we really talk about Superman seven and eight. So, but definitely go pick out 
this issue so people show them that we're interested in in seeing more Hellspot. Oh yeah, and just to mention it really quick, Stormwatch number seven and Superman number seven both had sketch variants. Just so you know, I happened to notice, and I actually snagged up the Stormwatch one. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I need to get better about any of that stuff to the wiki, because there's been several <laughs> variants. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll go ahead and talk about the uh, other upcoming Wildstorm releases for the month of April. Uh, Stormwatch number 8 will be out on the 4th. Really looking forward to that. I want to see how Paul Jenkins finishes up his little story here. Uh, on the 11th, we have Nathan Edmondson's last issue of Grifter, which is number 8. And we have Superboy number 8, which actually has an appearance by Grunge. So that's going to be cool to see how that um, how that plays out. Somebody's joking that Superboy is becoming Superboy versus the Wallstorm universe, because <laughs> we're having so many appearances over there. But hey, if Scott Lobdell's single-handedly bringing them all in, that's fine. <laughs> hey, it works for us. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. And there's Demon Knights number eight, which I don't know if I'm even going to list these anymore unless we have something significant, because <laughs> like we said, we're not really having any connections to Stormwatch right now. On the 25th, we have Voodoo number eight, and we have Superman number eight, which is part two of the Hellspot versus Superman. And then we have Teen Titans number eight, um, which we'll see. Uh, like we said, you know, it's gearing up for that big crossover called The Culling that'll leave into Ravagers number one, so... Uh, remember, all these books are available digitally either through DC Comics website or Comicsology.com. Day update every Wednesday, and like I said, I did get to use Comicology's uh, digital distribution finally, and it was pretty cool. So, um, if you've never given it a try, I would suggest doing it at least once. <laughs> um, real quick, just want to mention that uh, DC Comics in general has had some big changes lately. Uh, they've totally rebranded their logo to where it's uh, diversified, to where it, it fits on anything DC puts out, not just their comics, but their movies, their animated stuff, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, you can head over to dccomics.com if you haven't already to see their new logo and to see the brand new website upgrade, which has no more message boards. Because <laughs> they just... Um, did away with all that, and what they're relying on now is obviously they have Twitter. But you know, each at the website, each issue, as soon as, if you're logged into Facebook, as soon as you pull up an issue, uh, it has the ability to comment on there through your Facebook. And so there's some people that are commenting on there. I don't know how much I like that system, honestly, because I mean it does notify you, you know, when people respond. But I don't know. It's going to take some getting used to. I'm not sure how how uh, effective it is compared to a message board. But maybe they were just tired of dealing with message boards. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if they have a Google Plus, honestly. But They, they do. Oh, they do? Yep. Okay. But, you know, that's DC. They're you know pushing stuff into the future. And as long as they keep showing the Wildstorm characters love, I'll, I'll still keep following whatever they do. So... <laughs> Yeah, you're right though. They over the years, you know, their message board, they've reset them several times, so I think that was just the nail in the coffin. They were you know, other services can take care of it, so I think that's what they figured that they would they would do. Um in lieu of that though, you know, we do our normal shout out for Chris Stryker's uh Stormwatch site and which is the higher authority site, but if you go on the authority.ws you can get to his Clark's Bar board, which is still frequently used by the Wildstorm fandom. So go check it out there since DC decided to take down their message boards. Hopefully some, some people will go over to Chris's. Yeah, Chris tried to put a, a post about it right before they took it down. I don't know if he got it in time. I know we did get, <laughs> I know we did get a couple of new people at Clark's bar, so that's pretty cool that we had I saw some new posters. So that's good to know that we still got people coming over. We also wanted to mention um Chris Parton's culturalwormhole.com. Um they have been covering some of the new fifty-two books, especially Superman, but recently they've uh slowed down their reviews. So hopefully we can get him on uh, next month to discuss Superman with us, especially with the uh, crossover and the fight against Hellspawn. Yeah, because uh, episode eight for their DC Wormhole podcast is the last one they're going to do for a while, so it's up. And you know they discuss you know the I think up to the number sixes of everything. 
But yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, but uh, they they just weren't enjoying the the new fifty two as much. So I think it's crazy that we are still here, <laughs> two years strong. Who would have thought we'd still be talking Wildstorm after what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's why we need to push these books. <laughs> we don't want to end up just talking about Stormwatch only. <laughs> hey, I, I after this month, I feel really good about both Grifter and Voodoo. Like I'm. I'm back on. I'm excited. Yeah. Hopefully everybody else is too. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, lastly, if y'all want to contact us, you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash grifter78, or you can look Ben up as uh, yoyomaster146 at our Wildstorm resource wiki. Uh, and I'm also grifter78 there, which uh, that's another one that's going to be hard to promote without the DC message boards, but that's okay. <laughs> Again, they'll find us when they type in Wildstorm. And you can find the podcast itself on Twitter at twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict. Or you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. Or you can also check out our Facebook fan page and our Google Plus page. So, all right. Well, I guess that's all we have for this month. Uh, yeah, Next month we have a lot of stuff coming up here soon. So... We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about here soon, Ben. We're going to have to figure out how we fit it all in. <laughs> I agree. These have continued to get longer and longer each month, but it's awesome. I'm glad that we have stuff to talk about. Agreed. <laughs> but other than that, I guess that's it for this month. Sayonara. Also, we need to throw in there that, uh, oh, never mind. I'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> we'll get to it in the other Wallstorm tie-ins. <laughs> get your stuff together this month, Joe. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, obviously, the audience doesn't know what's been going on in my life, so <laughs> and we won't go into that. But trust me, it's, it's been uh, life-changing. So, <laughs> But I'm still here. That's right. <laughs> They haven't taken me out yet. <laughs> <laughs>